Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's the last week of the liturgical year. We just celebrated the Feast of Christ the King on Sunday. Yesterday on Sound Insight, we had a chance to reflect on the meaning of Christ the King. Today, I'm going to reflect on it on the basis of Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 45, bringing out insights that I hope are relevant to your life, be very challenging, honestly, and um, actually begins with a, a more personally uh, explorator, uh, explorative, attentive question. What is it? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and in this last week of the liturgical year, we do look to you. We reflect on the meaning of our lives, the totality of our lives, and Lord, we also look forward to the gift of Advent coming up. Lord, help us to prepare well for that great gift. Lord, bless the day of all those who listen, Whoever's listening to this program right now, I ask, Lord, that you'd stand with them at their point of deepest need. I ask, Lord, that you would bless them in ways that are unexpected in their lives, undeserved. Lord, show them mercy in the way that you lavish good gifts upon them and surprise them, Lord, with the blessings and graces that you give to them. And I pray for open doors. I, I sense that there are some who are experiencing a sense of closed doors, the closed doors maybe professionally, relationally, uh, maybe in terms of communication, feeling locked out or stuck. I pray, Lord, for open doors. Jesus, may you exercise your lordship in our lives. Shepherd us Lord, into green pastures. Please, Lord Jesus, give us the grace of being sheep today, willing to be, uh, willing to be uh, shepherded by you in, uh, in, every, in every way that we need, in every way that would bless you, Lord, uh, to, to come and enter our lives. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, one of the more challenging things that I will end up facing in my own life of prayer when I'm praying is when I come up against a, a nudge, uh, an, in, an interior like, impulse to take an action that is not pleasant, that is not easy, that's not fun, it's not comfortable, and yet I feel a conviction, an interior sense of, um, of a call, a, a nudge, do this thing. And so when I come up against resistance, when I feel the reluctance to do that thing, whatever that thing is, the, the voice that I hear inside of me, and, and it's not that I'm hearing words, but it's a truth that comes in the form of a question. And it, it, it's a very simple one. It's, it's the voice of the Lord saying to me, Am I Lord or not? 
Am I God in your life or are you? Who's the Lord here? (laughs) If I'm the Lord, then obey me. And it's, have you ever had that happen? Do you have that happen in your own life? I I do. Um, I want to say, I'm, I, I think, well, I hope I hope it's a good thing. It doesn't happen that often. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not listening. But I, I would like to think that I'm striving to live in accord with the call that God has for my life. And I will come up against those situations where the Lord is prompting me. That's the word I'm looking for, prompting me. Uh, in, you know, that interior impulse, that interior little tug or, or, or pull, go do this or go avoid that. And I will typically like be in the flow to say, yes, that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And so when the, the alternative happens and I have that, that, that little prompting to take an action that I, I'm not drawn to, I even maybe will have an aversion to, I, that, that backup statement is the Lord Lord or not? Are you the the one who determines what you're going to be doing right now? How you're going to be living right now? Uh, I I bring that up in the context of the Feast of Christ the King. Here we are. It's the last week of the liturgical year. And so again, this is one of those times where it's good for us to reflect on the the final end of our own lives, right? You've heard me already talk a bit on Sound Insight about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. If you listen to Catholic radio and you're online in the, in, in the world of Catholic media, reflections on death, judgment, heaven, and hell are, are pretty common. And so um, I'm focusing today on something that has to do with really here and now, the the today of our lives, which is, what does it actually mean that Jesus is the Lord of our lives? And, and more than just, he's the Lord, and so I strive to do good and avoid evil, or I strive to live in accord with the Ten Commandments, no, there's more to it than that. It's much more personal. It's much more intimate, down into the details of our lives. And I haven't given haven't given a lot of like specifics about those promptings where the Lord is saying to me, "Do this," and it it runs counter to my own personal spirit. But I'm going to be able to put more flesh on those by taking a look at. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 45. That's the story of the story. It's the the teaching Jesus gives uh, towards the end of his public ministry in the Gospel of Matthew about the Son of Man coming in glory at the end of time and judging everyone, right? Separating the sheep and the goats. It was the Gospel on Sunday. I'm going to break that gospel open for you in a way that is meant to shine a light, and sometimes it's a painful light, on our lives. And and I I do so precisely to help us live well today 
to live well in a way that glorifies God today, and honestly, is kind of also setting us up to have a good Advent. To have a good Advent. Uh, And I say that because one of the fruits that has come into uh, my own life and into my married life and in my family's life as Catholics is a recovery of a more traditional understanding of Advent. Simply put, we have focused on Advent more in relationship to the holiday season that's marked by lots of celebrations and less like Lent that is marked as, as, a, as a season of penance and penitence. And the more traditional mode of relating to Advent, you know, the four candles and the wreath and, and all of this, is as a penitential season as well. And so in days to come, I won't dig into the whole theology of Advent today, but I do want to have you hold on to this idea that it's already Tuesday of the final week of the liturgical year, and let's not miss out on the opportunity to have a great Advent season, to be able to enter into the fullness of what this liturgical season means as the beginning of the liturgical year. It's not the calendar year, but of the liturgical year. And I will next week delve into the theology of Advent, as I do every Advent, but I'm going to highlight in a a way that is more recent. Uh, When I say more recent, it's more recent to our lives coming over here to Eastern Washington. And and really, we recovered this understanding of Advent by going to the traditional Latin Mass and, and there hearing more of the teachings about Advent that are Um, historically connected to the way that the church celebrated Advent that I just wasn't aware of. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing. (laughs) All the studies and and my whole adult life being involved in church work and somehow missing, getting that big of a gap in my mind and heart and in my life and, and in raising my kids about the traditional way that Advent was celebrated. That, that's kind of I don't know, that says a lot. I mean, and I don't think it just says a lot about me. I think it says a lot about the some of the losses in catechesis that have happened after the Second Vatican Council regarding certain um, key themes and streams of teaching that are part of our life of faith. So today on the program, I'm digging into Matthew 25, 31 to 45 or 46. And I'm going to break it open in a way that hopefully gives you some new insight into that passage itself, but relating it, relating it to our today, to your and my call to honor Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives. What does that mean? What does that look like? So I'm excited to do that. So let's get, let's get started. And let's begin. Uh, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. So here's Jesus. He is presenting this teaching about the last judgment. And he doesn't say, when I come in my glory. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Why does he do that? Well, how are we... Let me ask, I'll say it this way. How are the listeners 
of Jesus' teaching at his time going to grow in their own understanding, their comprehension of who Jesus is. One of the ways that Jesus indicates and helps his listeners come to a deepened understanding of who he is, indicating his identity, is through titles, a title. And so this title in the Gospel of Matthew, the Son of Man, is the most exalted title that shows up. Like, for instance, if you look in the Gospel of John, the title that is most prominent is the Son of God. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, a prominent title that also shows up about who Jesus is, is he who is to come. The one who is to come. A way of referring to the Messiah. There is a title that is also identified with Jesus, the Son of David. Again, referring to the Messiah. So there are a number of titles, there are a number of ways of helping the people who are listening to Jesus' teaching try to get some insight into who is Jesus. Well, the Gospel of Matthew was written for a principally Jewish audience. So, uh, and, and, these, and this would include Jews who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And helping them understand what it means that Jesus is Messiah is amplified, it is enhanced through this title, the Son of Man. The title, the Son of Man, is a title that shows up in the last, say, 500 years before the coming of Christ. You see it in the, the book of Daniel, the book of the prophet Daniel. There is this figure who is this son of man who is shown on a throne, a heavenly throne. And there, there is in other writings, if you say, well, what does that mean? And, and is it God? Is it, is it a, a creature? Who, who is this? Who is this son of man? And you learn more. We, we gain further insight if we look at what are called the pseudepigrapha. These, these are writings that were uh, important in the life of the Jewish community. And they were written after the, uh, the, 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 later, the later books of the, of the Old Testament. So around, say, 200 B.C., to the time of Christ. And one of those books is called the Book of Enoch. And in the Book of Enoch, there is this figure that is the Son of Man. And so what would have been present in the minds of, of many of the listeners of Jesus's teaching is this figure of the Son of Man that has come down to them as a figure that has a heavenly origin and has divine attributes. So it hasn't all been worked out clearly in the minds of the, the Jewish people who this figure is, except that there are attributes associated with this figure, the, the sense of majesty or divine beauty, the word is glory, that there, this figure is glorious. This figure is somehow is increasingly associated with having uh, no origin um, and, and somehow is, is 
coexists with God and, and has divine prerogatives and divine qualities. And, and you can see there's this sort of progressive unfolding of these elements, these building blocks that will ultimately, with the coming of Christ, be revealed as the Blessed Trinity. So you'll see themes and, and, and phrases and things like the Son of Man referred to in the Old Testament that come to be fully understood and or fully expressed in the New Testament, and the Son of Man is one of them. So we're going to a break. When we come back, we're going to understand how to go forward from here. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, so Jesus is teaching about the Son of Man and referring to himself as the Son of Man. Um, when he refers here in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So again, there's this divinity associated with the Son of Man. And all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. So that again is an allusion to the book of Daniel, and there's a way in which the people who are listening to him are saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is giving us an insight into who he is, his identity, by associating himself with this figure with divine prerogatives, divine qualities and attributes. There's something about this man who is not merely a man. He has divine qualities about him. And as you know, this is the principal blasphemy that the Pharisees will use against Jesus to warrant, in the Sanhedrin, to warrant his crucifixion, his being sentenced to death, is that he claims a divine status. So here's Jesus saying, look, in the end, all of the angels that somehow are at his service they're going to come with Jesus. They're going to come with his son of man, sit on his glorious throne, and all of the nations will be assembled before him. Now, I want you to hold on to that. All the nations will be assembled before him. What does that say about Jesus? What does that say about the throne that the son of man is sitting on? That, and what does that say about the, let's see, the, let's call it the immensity of the son of man? Well, if you look in the book of Daniel, one of the things that you'll, you'll see identified with this throne is that there are these like wheels that are spinning that are associated with the, the throne on which the Son of Man uh, is sitting. Well, for the mind of the Jewish people, these spinning wheels are the stars, the movements of the stars in this sort of circular motion, if you follow the, the track of the stars in the sky, there's this sense of saying, do you know how big God is? Well, the entire universe, look up at the sky. 
Look up at the night sky. You see the the spectacular immensity, the extensiveness of the sky from east to west, north to south. You see all of this throne. This, this all of the night sky is a throne. That's how big God is. If you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5, you have around the throne the four living creatures, right? The four living creatures is a young man and a bull and an eagle and a lion. Well, one of the meanings of that is connected to the book of the prophet Ezekiel, where the the revelation of God is so big that, again, these creatures around the throne are constellations, Orion and Leo and uh, Taurus and what's the last one? Um, the young man, I don't remember. Uh, but they're at four points in the night sky. They're like in, in the four corners. They're saying like the, the throne of God is like over the whole universe. And so Jesus is touching this, this understanding that would have been present in the minds of his listeners of the immensity of God just how big God is. When we say Jesus is Lord, when we say that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man and the glorious reigning Lord of the universe, he's big. He is immense. He is overwhelming in the encounter with him. And so when we talk about this idea that Jesus is God, and Jesus as God is Lord of heaven and earth. He sits enthroned over heaven and earth. This gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse of the bigness of God. Do you think that that's, that would be a life-giving thing to have? I, 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 and I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean it honestly, an honest question. Well, I guess I could put it differently. Do you have any idea how healthful and helpful it would be to have had an encounter with this infinite and infinitely majestic, glorious God who is manifest to us in Jesus Christ? who comes to us as the second person of the Trinity, as Jesus Christ, this lowly man. Do you have any idea how powerful it would be to have that encounter with the living God? Don't you think it would change things? Like what matters? What's important? What we attend to? Who we focus on? how we live our lives, what's important to us. When we think about letting God be God, letting, did you hear what I just said? Letting God be God in our lives. God is Lord over the immensity of the universe, which I believe, one of my own thoughts, is that the Lord, 
allows us to go deeper and deeper into our understanding of the universe and its extent and its expanse through the use of technology and science so that we can get a glimpse by analogy of just how big God is. And so I think one of the, the cool things that can happen is when you go online and you know you go to YouTube or some other video platform and you just say, show me videos on how big the universe is and they'll show you these you know, videos where it kind of pulls out to a further level like here, here you are. Now here you are in your town. Here you are in your state, the country, in the whole world. And here's the world in the in the solar system. And then here's the solar system within the belt of the Milky Way. And here's the the belt of the Milky Way within the whole Milky Way. And then it just goes out, 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 out. And you're just like, holy cow, that is, what's the word? Big, immense, overwhelming, too much. Like, I can't even fathom it. It's so hard to imagine. And and all of that is, is visible and available to me right here. And God created all of this. And in doing so, gives us a, a faint, like splinter glimmer. That's it's not even correct. Pebble glimmer. Not even that's that's too big. And an atom. That's too big. <laughs> uh, an electron. Too big. You, you know what's the smallest thing? Well, you get the idea. You can get the smallest particle that has been able to be even defined through our use of science, and blow that up to the size of a universe and it there's literally no comparison between the the smallest particle and the size of the universe and us compared to god ta-da and we're concerned about what's happening in our bank account what's happening in our uh how I look when I look in the mirror. Uh, we're concerned about our social status among uh, the group of friends that we're hanging around with. Uh, I, I'm trying to identify just the, the the pitiable, paltry, just frankly unimportant things that we just spend so much of our life energy on. And so Jesus gives us an amazing gift in Matthew 25, verse 31 and the beginning of 32, just the beginning. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And when all the nations, the billions and billions and billions of people who have ever lived throughout all of history come before the throne of God, it's a pebble before the immensity of the entire universe and that doesn't even begin to get it right. And yet that living God knows you. That living God has a desire to come so close to you because there is a part of his creation that is not yet fully under his lordship. What? (laughs) Are you kidding me? There is a portion of God's creation that is not yet fully under the control of this infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good, all-merciful God 
who knows you, sees you, loves you, came to be among you, suffered and died for you in your place on your behalf for your sake because of what you did to betray him. He underwent the full curse and the full penalty of what you saw, what you brought about for your own life. And he literally went to, to suffer your death and the consequences of your sin. He overcame it through his powerful love. He has redeemed you and your death and your circumstance and you still hold out on him. What are you thinking? Are you kidding me? What are we doing? Why do we hold back? Why do we why do we resist? Why are we so rebellious? Rebellious, re- rebellious in our ignoring him. Rebellious in our being distracted from him. Rebellious in our simple unwillingness to surrender to him. Well, my brothers and sisters, this God that I just described to you, you're going to meet him. And he's going to come breaking in. He's going to come breaking into your life. And we are all going to be literally shocked. (laughs) None of us are going to be preserved from the shock of the encounter with the living God. None of us. And... I guess I want to say in this final week of the liturgical year, this is a relationship to pay attention to. Like I, (laughs) to use the, gosh, the terrible analogy, but it's, it's relevant. So on Saturday, we, the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, we have our first basketball game. I'm the coach coaching my daughter, Annalise. It's probably not going to be a pretty game. But I've been working hard for the last couple of weeks with my daughter and the team to get them ready for that game. Because we know it's coming. Ready or not, December 2nd, 3.30, come on out to the hub in Liberty Lake. Love to see you there. Cheer us on. (laughs) And I am spending a lot of time and energy getting ready for this game because I know it's coming and I want to do everything I can to get these girls, these young ladies prepared to do their very best against this team that's showing up ready or not on Saturday afternoon. So with that said, how am I doing with Kerry regarding helping our kids, Annalise and our other girls, pay attention to the reality that one day you're going to meet God. I don't know the date on the calendar, but ready or not, this is happening. This will come. But what Jesus describes in Matthew 25 It's going to happen. And I know this is referring to what's called the general judgment or the universal judgment as compared to the particular judgment, which is the judgment that you have when you die. This is the judgment that is coming at the very end of time where everyone is judged together. But 
it points us to and can get us to reflect on the reality of our own death. But what I want to do today, what I'm hoping to do today, is to say, what is the, the here you go. It's a principle from Plato, right? Not Play-Do, Plato, <laughs> Plato. Plato and Socrates, right, in his Platonic dialogues, says that life is training for death. Life is training for death. And what he means by that, I'm not giving you an exhaustive explanation, but what he means by that is, if you want to live well today, here and now, recognize that your life is headed towards death. Now, for him, death was not the going into the ground and dissolving into nothingness. For him, death was a return back to the origin from which he came. So life was considered a fall from the origin, the, the one who created all things, and death was a returning back to that source from which he came. And so the act of dying, the act of, of dying, was all about being ready to entrust oneself, to give oneself back over to the one who created him. And so that's actually relevant for us today. And I'm going to apply that to this teaching of Jesus after the break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So I'm reflecting on the parable, not the parable, the teaching of Jesus about his coming at the end of time to judge the, the universal judgment, the judge the living and the dead uh, at the end of time. And I'm drawing this teaching out because I want you to live well today. I want you to live well today. And this is, this is a very Catholic idea. It, it's all over that book, Preparation for Death by St. Alphonsus Liguori. I was linking it to Plato and the idea that life is training for death, that do you want to die well? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. Of course you want to die well. You want to die ready. You want to die prepared. You don't want to be caught off guard. You don't want to be left unprepared. Um, but the way to do that is to live well today. Live well today. In other words, live today in the light of the one who is to come. The one who is to come breaking into your life. And, and well, sorry. The one who is to come breaking into the whole universe to say, game over, all done, whistle, the clock struck zero. The clock has ticked down to zero. The game is over. Strip uh, all of time and history, rip open the universe and reveal the living God as the infinite, eternal, majestic, holy one, the one who's all glorious that that God uh, who's coming at the end of time is also going to come at the end of your time, your own personal time on earth. That's at your own death. But I'm saying to you, let that God break into your today. Let that God break into your right now. Ask the Lord to be that God in your life today. Everything's going to change for you. I mean, really. Things will really shake up our lives what we consider important, what we spend our time doing, what we spend our life energy on, what we spend our gifting on, all of that, all of that changes. 
when we have the encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ, not just Jesus Christ, the gentle shepherd, meek and mild, not just Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the healer of our wounds, who draws near to us with his tender mercies. By the way, do you need to know that, Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Not even a question. You need to know that, Jesus. But I'm talking about coming to know that that Jesus, coming to experience and encounter the reality that that Jesus, who approaches us with such humility in the Eucharist, as Eucharist, is this awesome, mighty, glorious Lord. So do that today, please. When you, when you go, if you make a visit to the church, if you make it to Mass, if you're able to um, take some prayer time, uh, read Revelation chapter 1 and encounter the living Lord Jesus that John encountered, that he's that glorious. Read Revelation 4 and 5 and you'll see that that throne is the whole universe and that the one who comes upon that throne is the lamb who was slain. That's Jesus. And, uh, and, and watch the health-bringing, salvation-bringing, sin-stripping effects that Jesus, the glorious Lord, will have on your life. I'm going to pray for that for you. If you don't want this to happen, change the station. If you want this to happen, get ready. Get ready. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a glorious God and that you've created us out of love. And I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, in his holy, sweet, and mighty name, Father, I ask that you would grant each of us the grace, all of us who are listening, the grace of encountering the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, who is the glorious Lord. Jesus, please, I beg you, reveal yourself in your glory to us in a new way, at a new level, a new depth. Lord, break open the narrowness of our vision of who you are. Jesus, please, I beg you, do not hold back, but reveal to us your glory at a depth and at a dimension and at a level of immensity that leaves us stunned in awe, wonder, and radical amazement. Please, Lord Jesus, Grant us this gift during these days, final days of the liturgical year. Please, Lord, we want to live well. We want to live better. We want to live now in the dawning revelation of who you are before we meet you in our own death or at the end of time. Please, Lord, grant us that gift. Grant us that grace. And I do call upon the sweet and holy saints that are around your throne in heaven. 
our precious patron saints and guardian angels, you who behold the glory of God, you who stand in awe and wonder right now, you who are saying yes and amen to this prayer, please pray for us, each of us, and for all of us, that we would come to that encounter. Please mediate that through your sweet, powerful intercession. Jesus, we love you, but we have no idea of your glory and your majesty, your holiness, your splendor. I just beg you, please, Jesus, in this one life that we have to live, this one chance that we have to walk this earth in time, Give us that grace, Lord, of a Moses-like encounter that would leave us with your glory radiating on our faces. Give us, Lord, the encounter that John had in the book of Revelation that had him encounter you and fall down at your feet as though dead because of the immensity and the power of your glory. Lord, we do not deserve this gift. We do not, Lord, we deserve such punishment for the ways that we fall short and settle for less in our lives. We want a fresh start. We want a new beginning. We want to live holy lives that honor you, that become vessels of bearing your divinity into this world in a new way. Please, Jesus, Please give us the grace to continue to ask and seek and knock. We will not relent in our knocking, in our asking, and in our seeking for the revelation of your glory in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, until, Lord, we are stunned into silence. And so, Lord, please grant us, through the gift of your Spirit, the boldness and the courage to continue asking and seeking and knocking for this gift, for this grace that, Lord, we do not deserve, but we make bold to pray. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that kind of prayer that I prayed was one that I learned to pray when I was 19. So that was 40 years ago. Whoa. (laughs) 40 years ago, I started to pray that kind of prayer. And I will say this, that when the Lord answered that prayer, in the times when he has answered that prayer, it gets etched it, it, it got etched into my, uh, my heart, my soul, my mind, my memory. And it doesn't leave. It just doesn't leave. It, it's like, you know, you, you hear people that like a kind of a cool phrase that you'll hear sometimes is, I heard something that I could not unhear. I saw something that I could not unsee as ways of describing powerful sermons or teachings or powerful events where the Lord's uh, power was, uh, his kingdom was made manifest 
And, and I've, I've said that and I've done that. I, I've used that. But this is another one of those situations where you'll have an encounter with the Lord that you cannot disavow. You can't, you, you can't go forward as if you didn't have it. It's like you go through a door and there's no going back. You now have to live at a different pitch, at a different, at a different level after that encounter, which is all, it's a gift from God. So I, I encourage you to make that prayer, have that prayer, start praying that prayer and see what happens. All right, back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. Today I am reflecting on Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. I actually made it, not quite yet, through verse 31. (laughs) I think this is going to take a while. Oh, I love you, Lord. Thank you. This is pretty humbling. Okay, I got a uh, kind of a neat story. This is about that. Uh, follow the prompting of the Lord, whether or not you want to, whether you choose to, whether or not it makes sense to you in the moment. It's who's God, my God or are you God, Tom? Who, who are you going to obey? Who are you going to follow, right? A real basic but important truth. So I was on the phone um, with a real estate agent. So this has to do with some folks I'm serving. Uh, they are looking to buy a house uh, in Idaho. And they said, hey, Tom, what about this house? And I'm like, well, it's a bit about, it's outside your price range. So I don't think they're going to go for it. But you really want me to ask them, well, I'll call and talk to the agent and find out like what's going on. So I called the agent. And this happened to be an agent that was like not in a hurry to get off the phone. And a lot of real estate agents, they can be pretty like matter of fact, like get to the point and not really very chit chatty. Well, this agent, I could just tell, was a little bit older, right? And so I'm 59, and when I say this agent was a little bit older, I don't mean 61. I mean like 70 or 70s. And uh, she was not in a hurry. This was probably someone that she had known for a lot of years and you know, maybe socialized with and all of this, and uh, this person who was selling the home. And so I called and I said, hey, look, do not want to offend you. It's not my goal here, but I'm going to bring up a, a, a price point that is in the range of what this person can actually afford um, with their permission. And so no desire to offend, but I want to just share a little bit about their situation and here's what they can afford. And the agent, again, had been very chit-chatty with me and asked me about my family and asked me about... Like, hey, where was I from? Saw my phone number was like a Seattle number. And why was I over here in eastern Washington, northern Idaho? And what was that all about? And so um, when she heard about the buyers that I was helping, she said, oh, wow, that is really hard. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them. And, okay, so my antenna went up, right? Like, okay, wait a minute. This agent just said out loud, I'm going to pray for them. And so as I was listening to this, again, older agent, had been an agent for decades, she started to say that, hey, you know, I'm going to say a prayer for this person. Great. Well, as I was listening, 
I started to also listen on the inside. And the sense I got was that the Lord was saying, offer to pray with her right now. All right, well, that's this is not a person who knows me from Adam. She doesn't know that I do church work. She's never talked to me before. She's never heard of me. She just knows I'm a real estate agent. I'm representing a buyer. She talks to me and says all of this and mentions this idea. I'm going to pray for this person. And I said, hey, you mentioned praying for this person. Would you be open to having us pray right now for your sellers? She mentioned a couple of things about the seller and my buyers. She said, absolutely. I said, well, if you're okay with it, I'm also going to add in a prayer for you. And I just started praying. And I prayed for her seller. I prayed for my buyers. And I prayed for her. And I prayed just for this whole situation. And at the end of the prayer, she was, she, she first said, I've been an agent for 40 years, or more than 40 years. I've never in my life prayed with another real estate agent. And this is so interesting to me because on the one hand, here you have a person of faith who in many circumstances would be extremely comfortable with the idea of praying. But it had never crossed over into her interactions with other real estate agents. And so the idea that, hey, we can actually say a prayer for our clients and we can pray for each other. And so I, I prayed as I felt led for blessings on her life. And she's, I think I got a new best friend, all right? She's texting me now and, hey, my new friend. Hey, here's this and here's that. And what a sweetie. Uh, but the, the idea was what? I felt prompted. I didn't like, hey, strategically, this makes great sense. I should, if I pray with this person, then... It's going to be uh, like a strategically good decision to help me get a more favorable outcome. Nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the reality of simply, I'm going to honor God. And if the Lord prompts me to say, hey, do you want to pray? Well, the question becomes, who's God in my life? Am I the Lord or is Jesus the Lord? And if Jesus is the Lord, then I'm going to obey him, even if it is uncomfortable, foreign, foreign enough where the woman said, I've never had, I've never had the opportunity to pray with an agent in 40 years. Um, But she was extra, you know, she was very grateful for it and blessed by it. and, And it was just like, wow, what a whole new, what a whole new world for her. And, you know, interestingly, so that there is a house that uh, Carrie and I have for rent in Coeur d'Alene. And these folks reached out and they're moving in the area. And I talked with her and she mentioned in passing that they had a daughter who was away on mission for a year. And so I heard that and I'm like, let's bring this up again. And so she asked me, why do we do what we're doing in real estate? And I talked about helping families to flourish and wanting to help them to move and find a, 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 the right place to live 
in this area. And that's why we actually hold a rental open for families that want to come and figure out like, okay, we're not sure where we want to live yet, but hey, you can just like rent from us for a time until you're ready and then just buy a hot, buy when you're ready to buy and we're here to serve you. She's like, wow, that is so nice. Why do you do that? And I'm like, well, we want to help families to flourish and that's why we're doing what we're doing. And again, it was a, a wonderful opportunity for us to introduce the idea that your identity, my identity, is found, first of all, not in my profession, not in my job. It's not found in the allegiance I have to a particular team or a role I play on a team. But, no, it all goes back to my deepest identity is found in my relationship with God and the gift that he's given me of life and of new life through Jesus Christ. And I am his witness. I am to be his witness in whatever place, wherever I go, and whatever place I go to. That's my call. And so um, I, I found that to be, you know, a wonderful blessing to be able to do that in that circumstance. So to Inside Insight, I've been reflecting with you on this reality that Jesus is the Lord, that he is God, and that when he comes again at the end of time, that can shine a light on the fact that he's coming again at the end of our time. But it can also shine a light as we come to the end of our liturgical season, this liturgical year. Oh, wait a minute. As we enter into this day, how you live this day well is absolutely connected to expressing, accepting, acknowledging, and even crying out to have Jesus be Lord. Because the Lord sits on the throne of the universe, but where he has yet to conquer is the human heart, your heart and my heart. Maybe not all of it, right? Of course, we're surrendered to the Lord in, in, in meaningful ways, but there are parts of our lives where he doesn't sit on the throne. He doesn't sit on the throne of the totality of our lives. And I don't know who who's like known for this, but it's another one of those throwaway lines that Jesus is the Lord of all or he is not the Lord at all. Jesus is the Lord of all, all aspects of our lives, the totality of our lives, or he's not the Lord of all. He's not going to be content with just having a part of our lives. And of course, at first we can think of, oh, well, you can't just be the Lord of that one hour where you go to Mass on Sunday or in certain moral decisions that are big, big picture sins, mortal sin area. No, it goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond that, that the Lord, he's pressing in. He's pressing into the details. He's pressing into the things that we think are really so important. He's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm what's important. My, your relationship with me. In, in my desire to, to bless you, to, to pour graces in, into you, and to be at work through you in this world. Let Jesus be Lord. He's the Son of Man, and he's coming in glory to your life today. Allow him in. I'm at the end of my program. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.